You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and I'm so glad uh, that you're joining us this morning as we wrap up the uh, sermon series we've been in. Uh, for the month of uh, January so far, the series has been called The Hope for a New Year. And uh, today we're wrapping it up with a, uh, a sermon I'm titled Hope During Suffering. And so, uh, as you can tell, we're ending this series on a, with, a, with a cheery note, you know, on a, on a high note. Of course, none of us hope that this year will bring the suffering that uh, 2020 brought, right? But ask you a question that none of us really want to think about, but what if it does? I mean, what if this year is just as hard or, or even harder than last year? So we don't want to think about that, right? For suffering in our Western secular culture is primarily seen as a pointless tragedy that's to be avoided at all costs. For our culture has bought into the idea that the meaning of life is to be free to choose whatever will make you happy. And if that's the meaning of life, then suffering has no place and it has no purpose in that. But Christianity views suffering differently. For in God's word, we are paradoxically told that suffering is something to grieve and that there's a good purpose for it. And that we have a reason to hope or even rejoice even in the midst of it. And when this is understood, it enables us to suffer well. I think that the, the passage that captures this best is found in uh, the beginning of 1 Peter. For that letter was uh, written to Christians who were suffering. In fact, the Apostle Peter, who wrote the short letter, mentions suffering 17 times in it. And at the beginning of this letter, he's communicating, he communicates three things that will help us I think really help us learn to suffer well. And so I want us to look at this together this morning. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and pick up on verse 3. Let me read a few verses here for us. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. But then listen to this part. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The first thing I want to point out to us from this is that suffering is a reality. And I'm going to be quick here with this point because 2020 already made it for me, right? And so uh, surely we know that suffering is a reality. It is a reality for us. It is a reality for the believers that Peter was originally writing to who were being, as, as he says here, grieved by various trials. And that word for grief that he, he uses here is the word for agonizing pain. Like they were really going through a hard time. So we know suffering is a reality. And yet, our secular culture puts such a low priority on personally preparing for it. 
And we're often so shocked when it happens to us. See, uh, later on in this letter, Peter says, hey, don't do that. Like, don't be unprepared and don't be shocked. In fact, he puts it this way. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, instead of being surprised when we experience suffering, we should be prepared for it so that we can respond well within it. Because it's a part of life, friends. And so to not be prepared to suffer is to not be prepared for life. And friends, that, the last thing I'm, I'm going to say on this point, okay, is let's not buy into the naive, naive idea that if we simply have our act together and make good decisions, then we can avoid ever suffering, right? That's just not how life works. Certainly, you may limit the amount of suffering uh, that you have if you make wise decisions. And so, you know, wear a mask and wash your hands and all that. But no one can escape suffering altogether. If you want proof of that, look no further than Jesus. Though he was the very wisdom of God and though he was perfect in every way, he still suffered immensely. So why would you think that you would be the exception to the rule if he wasn't? So we live in a broken and sin-torn world. Suffering will result. That's our reality. And so in light of that, we would be really wise to ask, what will help us suffer well when trials come? Well, one thing I think that really will help us uh, suffer well is understanding that our, our culture's prominent view on suffering is wrong. For as I said earlier, our culture views suffering as a pointless tragedy. But in this passage, along with many others throughout Scripture, God's Word tells us that there is a purpose in our suffering, that there is a good reason for it. To the point that, and though this might be really hard to get our minds around, Peter says in verse 6 that trials that produce grief are sometimes necessary. Necessary. Look again what he says in verse 6. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. <laughs> if you're like me, you, you read that and you think, okay, hey, uh, if necessary, according to, <laughs> according to who? Right? Because trials never seem necessary to me. And like in my mind, trials are like mosquitoes, right? <laughs> They're never necessary and I hate them so much. Right? Can you, you, can you agree with me there? But here, Peter says, hey, sometimes they're necessary. And then he tells us why. Look at verse 7. He says, you have been grieved by various trials so that, like indicating purpose, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, according to this, uh, suffering, trials, they serve a purpose. And to communicate that purpose, he uses this metaphor, right, of gold being refined by fire, where our faith is likened to gold, though he says it's actually way more precious than that. And our trials are likened to fire. And he uses this metaphor to make this point. Gold is heated by a fire, not to destroy the gold, but to improve it. For the fire makes the impurities separate from the gold so they can be removed. 
And in the same way, when we go through trials we su- and we suffer, it's so our faith in Jesus, which is more precious than gold, can be refined and purified. And at times, that's necessary because our faith in Jesus, like unrefined gold, is often intermixed with a bunch of other junk. See, as Christians, we believe, like we have faith, that our security is found in Christ. And we trust that our value and our worth is found in who God says we are and what he has done for us. And yet, if you're like me, though we say we believe those things, we still look to our bank accounts and jobs and social positions and health and relational status to provide us a lot of security and a lot of self-worth and a lot of satisfaction. Like put another way, we put a lot of faith and a lot of hope in circumstantial things. And God the Father knows that. And he knows that's where so many of our problems come from. And so our perfect Father, who uh, he, our perfect Father, he, he works to remove that, to refine our faith so that we won't place our hope and our faith in things that will ultimately and inevitably fail us. And often the way that our Father does that is by removing or refusing us the things that we're hoping in. And that hurts. That right there is oftentimes the trial itself. And we hate it. And yet, in light of what we're told here, there is hope to be found within it. For the trials we face are not arbitrary or pointless. But there's a good reason for them. God used the year of 2014 to really teach me a lot on this. That year, uh, friends, was the hardest year of my life. (laughs) Or at least one of them. (laughs) I can tell you, it was definitely a lot harder than 2020 was for me personally. Because you see, when 2014 began, uh, Midtown Church was less than a year old, and I literally felt like I was living a dream come true. For back in the summer of 1999, 15 years prior, my good friend Adam Brunson and I had dreamed about planning a church together in Central Austin near the UT campus. And all summer long, we would work together. We would just talk about that and talk about that. And we're like, that would be our dream. If we could do anything with life, it would be that. And then a decade later, by the providence and the grace of God, Adam and I were on staff as serving as pastors of the same church, Hill Country Bible Church for the Bill. And after serving there for a few years, that church family decided they wanted to plant a church, to start a church in central Austin near the UT campus, and they wanted to send Adam and I together to go start it. And so they sent us, along with our families and about 25 other people from the church, to start Midtown Church. And like I said, I literally felt like I was living a dream come true. I was living a dream, a 15-year dream that had come true. And I thought that that's what the rest of my life was going to look like. But then that year, Adam told me that he felt like God was leading him to make a big career change. And he began a process of rolling off our staff so that he could begin pursuing a career in nursing. I was shocked. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that Adam would be leaving. And you can ask Krista, I was devastated by his decision. 
I was beside myself with worry for what it meant for Midtown and what it meant for me. My confidence was rocked. I got depressed. I mean, I really struggled. But through that fiery trial, God in his grace was refining my faith. And he revealed that contrary to what I confessed, the truth was I really believed my security and my uh, confidence was rooted in other people. And in a lot of it in Adam specifically. And what's uh, wild to me is that I would have never even realized how little faith I had in God if it wasn't for that trial. Now, I would have been a really, really bad pastor if he hadn't taken me through that trial. For I would have never been able to serve y'all well if I was always looking to you to provide me security. I could never give you true, unbiased, what I feel like, like, you know, wisdom. I would always be trying to serve myself by what I said to you and how I led you. Not that I'm a perfect pastor now, lots of room to grow, but I'll tell you, I'm a much better pastor now because of the trial that I went through and God increasing and inviting me through it to trust him more and to find my security and my confidence in him instead of others. See, John Newton, uh, who wrote the song Amazing Grace I talked a little bit about last week, he once said, everything is necessary that he sends and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. And as hard as that might be to hear, and even harder to experience. It is so much better than what our secular culture feeds us. See, suffering, friends, is not a pointless tragedy. And so when suffering comes your way, you can know your Father can use it to bring about good, to refine you. I mean, just to quickly list off a couple of ways what this looks like. He, he uses our suffering to humble us and give, give us a far more self-knowledge about ourselves than, than we had before that he uses suffering to free you from from overly depending on ever-changing people and circumstances, that he uses suffering to drive you into deeper intimacy and dependence on him, and he uses suffering to make you more compassionate and generally just more useful in the lives of others, especially those who are suffering because you've been there so you can help them. Or just to sum it up, he uses these trials and our suffering to turn you into pure gold to the point that, and this is really wild, when Jesus returns, he'll honor and praise you for your faith. So you look at how verse seven ends. He says, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, biblical scholars aren't sure if what Peter is saying here means that our refined faith results in Jesus' Jesus praise when he returns, or if it results in Jesus praising us when he returns. And I think that we're, it's the, 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 the word the here is intentionally ambiguous because Peter's saying it's both of those things. That when you persevere through trial, Jesus gets honor and praise. And also, our faith and our faithfulness 
pleases God, as Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That when we have faith, it pleases God to the result that when Jesus returns and you have been faithful, he applauds you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Like it is a big deal to God. See, suffering is a reality, but the good news is that there's a reason for it. That doesn't make it easy. It just makes it not pointless. It's still painful, but there's a point to it, and that can give us some hope in the midst of it. But I think we still need to hear, like, how can we respond well in the middle of it? And so that's the final point this morning. This passage highlights two ways to respond in the midst of suffering, and both are extremely important. And the first way that we are to respond when we are suffering is that we are to grieve. Like you are right to grieve. In verse six, Peter acknowledges the trials result in grief, that you're grieved by these various trials. And notice he doesn't say, hey, stop your grieving. <laughs> like he doesn't say, hey, don't you know that God has a purpose in your suffering? So get on the same page with him and just pull yourself together. No, he, he, he doesn't say that at all. You know why? Because stoicism has no place in Christianity. Do you want proof? Read the Psalms. Read Lamentations. Read the book of Job. I see terrible things happen to Job. He tears his clothes. He shaves his head. He falls to the ground. He cries out in searing pain. And yet God says that Job was faithful to him. Why? Because Job never walked away from God. Instead, he poured his pain out to God. See, God does not expect you to keep a stiff upper lip. You want further proof? Listen to Jesus' cries from the cross. Friends, when you hurt, hurt, cry, grieve. The fiery trials are painful. They are not pointless, but they're still painful. And to refuse to acknowledge their pain is to deny the fire. And if you do that, it won't have its good effect on you. This past year, we have been through a whole lot. Let me ask, like, have, you, have you grieved it? Have you taken the time to do that? You might feel like, man, I don't, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know what that looks like. If that's the case, let me just quickly recommend a, a book to you. I don't do this too often, but this book, Dark, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament, I, I would recommend this to you. It could help you grow in this way because it's an important way to respond when you're, in, when you're suffering, that you would grieve. But there's another way that you need to respond as well, and that is to rejoice, to rejoice. And listen, as, as foreign as this might sound, we are not encouraged to rejoice just after we grieve or instead of grieving, but in the midst of our grieving, like in the middle of it, at the same time, which I know just sounds weird. Like, how in the world do you do that? But look, this is what Peter says. In verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice. And then he goes to speak on how they are currently grieving these various trials. And both words, the word for rejoice and the word for grieve, are both, are both in the present tense. 
meaning they are rejoicing even as they are grieving. Now, again, how in the world is that possible, right? Well, it's possible to rejoice in the midst of our suffering because in Jesus, we have a living hope. A living hope is a hope, friends, that cannot die. It's a hope that no trial can ever take from us. See, so look back at verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, our living hope is tied to Jesus' resurrection. For when Jesus rose, he rose to never die again. And so in him, we find a source of hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And here's, here's why our living hope enables us to rejoice even when we grieve. It's because most trials come when something that we're hoping in fails us, or is withheld from us, or is removed from us. But when that happens, we can grieve that while at the same time holding on to and even rejoicing in the fact that what we have been given in Christ is something that will never fail us, never be withheld from us, and never removed from us. That we have in him and through him an inheritance that is kept by God for us, as first four goes on to say. And so like practically, when, like what this looks like is like when a friend betrays you, you mourn that, you grieve that, but you also can rejoice for you have a friend who will never forsake you in Jesus. And when your health fails you, you grieve that. And yet you can still rejoice in Jesus, Jesus who has given you eternal life forever in him. And when you're let go from your job, you, you grieve that. You're right to grieve that. And yet you can rejoice in Jesus' promise that you are secure in the Father's hand and he will never let you go. And when someone you love withholds love from you, man, you grieve that. And yet you can still rejoice. For you know you have in Jesus the faithful, never-failing love that you truly long for. You see, friends, if Jesus is your living hope, then when your finite hopes are stripped from you, you'll be driven deeper into Jesus, your true hope, which enables you to rejoice even when you grieve. This, too, is something that I learned in that same year, 2014. As I said, that was a really hard year. One of the other reasons why it was so hard is because my sister, Kaylee, and her husband, Sebastian, had their first child on September 5th of that year. And their baby girl was born with many complications, including being born blind and unable to breathe on her own. And she spent most of her life in the NICU until she passed away three months later on December 15th. Talk about painful. Oh, my. And they grieved. And our whole family grieved. So many tears. But the day after Annabelle passed, my sister posted this on Facebook. She wrote, 
Our sweet Annabelle Olive went to meet Jesus yesterday. And as heartbroken as Sebastian and I are, hear this, we rejoice and find so much comfort in knowing that her struggles here on earth are over and she has a new perfect body in heaven. And the first face she ever saw was Jesus's. And it doesn't get any better than that. See, friends, God used my little sister to teach me how to grieve and rejoice at the same time. That through her faith, that's of greater worth than gold. I saw how in the midst of the hardest kind of suffering there is the loss of a child. We can still rejoice instead of despair because we have a hope, a living hope that will never die in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And friends, if we are going to respond well within suffering, we must take refuge in him, our living hope. We must allow our temporal sufferings to drive us deeper into Jesus, that he would be our star that gets brighter as the night gets darker. And according to this passage, that's what was happening with the Christians that Peter was writing to. See, they were rejoicing in their living hope while they grieved their various trials that they were experiencing. And verse 8 tells us why that was their response. Verse 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the reason that they rejoice in their grief is because Jesus was not just their backup hope or their secondary hope. He was their true hope. Like everything else good in their life was just like the cherry on top, but he was their Sunday. Like he, and so if everything else was taken, they still had him. And that enabled them to still rejoice for he was their true love. And if we're going to suffer well, grieving and rejoicing, he too must be our true love. But how does that happen? Well, there are two things that I believe will help you love your love for Jesus grow that I want to point you to as we close. The first is this. Friends, you need to know and reflect on the fact that Jesus suffered for you. He left the comfort of heaven. He took on flesh and he suffered on your behalf, ultimately dying in your place so that you can be forgiven and united with God. And as you reflect on his service for you, that he would serve you to this degree, that does have the power to move you to love him more. That when you realize who has served you and who he served, and that to what degree he served you, like that will move your heart. It can compel your love for him. But there's even more. For not only did Jesus suffer for you, but hear this, friends. He suffered well for you. So Hebrews 12 tells us, look to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, let me ask, what enabled him to do that? To endure the cross, to despise its shame, to, in, to suffer well? Was well, as it says, it's because there was a joy that was set before him that was driving him. And what was that joy that was set before him? Well, Isaiah 53, verse 11 tells us. That verse says, after he, speaking about Jesus, really foretelling about Jesus, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Friends, do you know what the result of his suffering is? It's you. It's me. It's us. It's the justified many. And what that means is this. The joy that drove him to endure the cross and suffer shame, to suffer well for you, was a thought of being with you. To be with you forever. That he was so excited about being with you. That he endured the cross. That's what drove him through his suffering. And friends, when you realize that you're his joy, that drove him to suffer well, that you are that loved by him, that will move you to love him more. Friends, think about him suffering for you and realize you're his joy. And as you do, he will become your joy. And though you have not seen him, you will love him. And he will become your true living hope that nothing can take away, giving you reason to rejoice, even as you grieve. Because I, I don't know what we're going to face in 2021. I hope it's all smooth sailing. But let's not be shocked if we encounter more suffering. Instead, let's prepare so we can suffer well. Let's prepare by growing in our love for Jesus, our living hope. For as we do, we'll find we have a reason to rejoice even when we're grieved by various trials. And that will help us suffer well so that when the various trials come, our Father can use them to refine us and turn us into pure gold. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, this is hard. We hate suffering. Our culture just doesn't at all help us in this area. Yeah, we need your word. We need your spirit to teach us and prepare us so that when suffering happens, we are ready. And Lord, that we won't lose hope, but that our hope in Christ will grow deeper and we will be refined in the good purposes that you have will be accomplished to help us Grow in this area. Help us prepare. And Lord, we know that the greatest thing that we can do is that we would just grow in our love for Jesus. So that open our eyes to see, first and foremost, how you have first loved us. And how, Jesus, you suffered for us. And not only that, you suffered well for us because we are, amazingly, the joy that was set before you. God, will you be the joy set before us? 
we would endure our finite sufferings, our temporal sufferings now, through the eternal living hope that we have in Christ. We love you, God. Thank you for your great love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.